This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, time for another edition of Holding Court, everyone. Patrick McEnroe here, and uh, there's a lot going on down under. I mean, a lot going on. And uh, Mark Lucero, who's a good buddy of mine, who's down there coaching Steve Johnson, the American player, of course, from Southern Cal. He worked with us for five years at the USTA. He's coached a couple of great female players, including two really good Americans, Allison Risk, Shelby Rogers. And uh, you were kind enough yesterday, Mark, I, I went on the Mad Dog show on Sirius to give me a lot of insight into what sort of is going on day to day, hour to hour down there. So first of all, just, you know, give the audience a little taste of what life is like since you arrived, you arrived down in Melbourne, what about four or five days ago, correct? Yeah, I flew from LA Thursday, midday, we landed Friday night, close to midnight, Saturday morning, Uh, we got in around one in the morning. And then we were in the hotel for three days. After three days, they finally let us out to go practice. So we've been out practicing the last couple days. And we're one of the lucky ones. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. three flights from around the world that were uh, fully quarantined. They were deemed close contact because each flight had, you know, one or two positive COVID cases upon arrival. And uh, that's 72 players and probably the same amount or more of coaches and staff who, you know, won't be able to leave the room for the full 14 days. So, uh, yeah, pretty excited about being able to practice for a couple hours a day. Very Let, appreciative. Yeah, let's start from the beginning, though, because you, you made a comment there that you, you just kind of blew over it. But, and we tennis guys know what, 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 this, what happened. But I think for the, for the fans out there, this would be very interesting. Just You got on a flight in L.A. Well, you didn't get on a Qantas flight like we sometimes do or a United flight, a normal flight when we all make our trip down under. You got on a chartered plane, correct, that Tennis Australia – sent over as they did to seven different cities they sent 17 charter planes one of them was the plane you got on in los angeles so just talk me through a little bit you know the 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 covid test you had to have before you and steve johnson and other players and their coaches and so on actually got on the plane yeah so tennis australia negotiated for months with the australian government to make this event happen and part of the deal to get the players there safely was to do only charter flights. So all the players who were playing the Australian Open were sort of routed to a bunch of different, to seven different hubs, like you mentioned. Right. And then Tennis Australia, they made deals with Etihad and Qatar Air to get the players from those cities to Melbourne. So, and each so, plane so was... Let me, li- yeah, let me stop you for one second. So Tennis Australia essentially was negotiating with the Australian government, correct? And so they said, okay... They, the Australian government didn't want players and their, and their coaches and their entourages to get on, quote-unquote, normal commercial flights. Is that, am, I, am I right? Because I know you were on a bunch of Zoom calls leading up to actually the time when you got on the plane in California, right? So is that how that all happened? Yeah, correct. The, you know, the situation in Australia has been very tenuous um, since you know, the, the pandemic began. They did a hard lockdown, and they basically, you know, in the Melbourne – area, the state of Victoria, they've had no active cases in the community for, you know, for a while now. And one of the reasons that's the case is because any Australian entering the country has to go through a 14-day hard lockdown, and it's very competitive to get those slots. There's a limited number of Australian citizens who can enter at any one time. So part of the agreement to have the tournament was that 
the tennis players were not going to impact those numbers. Oh, so okay. as a result, right. Cause yeah. I'm also hearing, I'm reading a lot of the, the newspapers from directly from Australia. And a lot of it sounds like a lot of citizens uh, in Australia are pretty pissed off because they're, they're saying that, you know, we let this thing happen. We meaning the Australian society, the government, and you have a lot of people that can't get back into their own country because of these restrictions, right. On the limit of how many people can come in. So that was also part of the reason it sounds like for the chartered planes, right? Correct. Correct. And players knew that, you know, if they got to Australia and tested positive, there would be a quarantine. So from a player point of view, you feel safer getting on a charter flight that, you know, is only tennis players or or people going for the tournament. And part of the arrangement was a negative COVID test within the prior 72 hours prior to boarding. All right, well, let me, let me get to this point because you brought up something that's a, a bit controversial at the moment, and I think that Craig Tiley, who we both know, who runs the Australian Open, he's, a, he's the chief CEO of Tennis Australia. He's one of the most likable guys and one of the most get-it-done kind of guys in all of tennis, and, and, and the Australian Open is known as is the friendliest major event. The players love going there. Part of the reason is because of Craig's personality, his attention to detail, and so on, but it sounds like... Um, there was a little bit of miscommunication and maybe it was the old, you know, the players don't listen that well when they're on these calls with Craig Tiley. Maybe it was Craig Tiley trying to put sort of a more positive spin when he was having these calls with the players and their representatives leading up to the Australian Open by saying, hey, you're going to come down. Well, what if this scenario happened? And it sounds like Craig said, well, we don't expect that to happen, but if it does, it's out of our hands, meaning it's in the hands of the Victorian government and the health officials, and that's obviously what what's happened. So the, you have some players who have been complaining, hey, we didn't know this was going to happen. So one of two things has happened. Either they didn't listen uh, properly enough on the call, which we know as players that's not that unlikely for some of them not to pay that much attention. Remember some players who tested positive for some uh, drugs, you know, didn't read the material they were apparently were given well in advance, right? So we won't go there. Um, so it sounds like there was a little miscommunication. I know Craig's taken quite a bit of heat down there from the press and from the players as well. So where do you think that stands right now as you're waking up on it's what Thursday morning there now in Australia getting ready for another full day well a part full day of practice and training and so on with your guy Steve Johnson well clearly there is a disconnect in the expectations you know our 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 other friend Jose Harris would always talk about expectations you know between the coach and player and player to coach and for here there's three bodies there's the government there's the tournament and the players and the players talk to the tournament tournament talks to the government and players never talk to the government so the government you know, has been all over the press. The Victorian, the governor, the the premier has been saying the players knew, the players knew, and uh, even Craig's been saying that in the media. But, you know, I was on a number of calls, and I can listen very critically. You know, I, I went to law school. Um, I don't remember it being put that bluntly that if there was a positive COVID case on the plane, that the entire plane would be deemed a close contact. It was, you know, we were made to think that because the plane would be at 20% capacity right. and you would be seated, you would be seated near the player that you coach or, right. you know, as a, as a player, you'd be seated near your coach. So if one of you were positive, the other player, you know, you, the person in your cohort would be deemed a close contact, right. but not the entire plane. And, and we were, you know, we were made to think that those methods 
were to avoid that scenario, mm -hmm. you know, to avoid the scenario basically that we're in now. Yeah, and one of the people who tested positive, I think it was on the flight that you were on from, from or not that you were on, but that others from uh, Los Angeles were on, was, a, was one of the flight attendants, correct? And the flight attendant apparently was walking up and down the plane, you know, doing what flight attendants do. Yeah, I mean, that I get. You know, I, I get it. If a flight attendant tests positive, like, who was circulating through the cabin, I can see that. And obviously the flight's 16 hours long, I get it. But it just the other scenario where the tournament would have, I guess, so little decision-making power, that was the part that we were a little bit fuzzy on. And I think that's where the frustration lies for a lot of the people in the tournament, because again, if you tell me I'm positive and I have to do 14 days or my player is positive and I'm negative, I still have to do the 14 days. Like I, you know, no argument for me whatsoever, but it was just the disconnect in the expectations. I think where that's where the rub is. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, um, you know, they're trying to work through it. Obviously we've been uh, paying attention to the social media and lots of players um, posting about their little workouts that they're trying to do in their room, hitting balls against mattresses, you know, having, I think it was Coco Goff had her dad uh, feeding her some balls that she was smacking into a mattress. So the players are coming up with things to do. Uh, Heather Watson had a pretty, did you see Heather Watson's uh, triathlon? She did. She did. Oh, she did yeah, the swimming in the bathtub yeah, the was swimming, amazing. Yeah, the swimming in the bathtub and on the bike. So, you know, they're getting creative. Um, they're obviously going a, a bit stir crazy. But I'm hearing, Mark, that, you know, if if the, they can get through another four or five days, that maybe there'll be a possibility that it won't be a full 14 days, that maybe they can do sort of a bubble within the bubble for those players if they test positive. So, So talk to me now a little bit about – you're not in the full lockdown. You're in the, you have the four, four hours of training, two hours on court for your player, Steve Johnson, two hours uh, in, in the gym, and then an hour of nutrition uh, off-site. The rest of the day, you've got to be in your hotel room. So kind of walk us through like how that goes about, because I know there's an unbelievable amount of detail, even in that process of you getting out of your hotel room and getting to the site to practice. Yeah, the hotel is just, thick with quarantine Victoria police they're called so when it's time for your you, you have a departure time that they tell you the night before you know and then you have your practice time and all that so your phone rings and they ask you if you're ready they say grab your room key put on a new mask a fresh mask and be ready to go to your door and then you get a knock and they ask you to step out into the hallway you meet a guy who's you know in full PPE they lead you to the elevator. In this case, they lead you know me wait, and wait, Steve wait, in the elevator. Wait, hold on a second now. Wait. So the so the person who comes to your door is actually in full PPE gear. Full PPE, yeah. Uh, face mask, uh, the goggles, uh, wow. gloves. Yeah, yeah. So they and every time they do this, they have to clear the entire floor so that there's nobody else out moving around the hallway except myself and and the player that I coach. So they take us to the elevator. Yeah, they take us to the elevator. They ride down with us in the elevator. They hand us off to another person from the Quarantine Victoria uh, organization who leads us into directly into the car. There's, you know, the whole area is roped off. There's a, you know, straight path to the car. That person jumps with us in the car, okay. takes us to the court right. with the driver. A, a new person picks us up at the uh, arrival point, walks us directly to our court, and then our time begins. And, uh, Steve's practice partner for the first week is Tommy Paul and uh, his coach, Brad Stein. So we get two hours on court. Then when our time's up, a new person picks us up. You know, again, full PPE. They, they walk us to our designated gym area, which is 
again, just the four of us. There's two tents, so two of us in one tent, two of us so in have, the other. So you have your own, and you have your own tent to work out in. After and is this right after the tennis part? So you do two hours of directly tennis? after. So you got directly. You, you better be ready to go. I mean, for the players, got to be ready. Got to got to be eat, eating well because you got two hard hours on court and then two hours in the gym. I mean, you got to be you got to be fueled up and ready. And you got to do the warm up in the room because your court time starts as soon as you step foot onto the court. Wow, so you only have the two... So, yeah. Oh, oh, man, I'd like to do that at our tennis academy because the kids waste so much time warming up those first 10 minutes. drives me drives me crazy. Okay, that's... Uh, yeah, so, so you get your 90 minutes. You get your 90 minutes in the gym. Right. And then around 30... With 30 minutes left to go, they tell you to order your food. There's like a barcode on right. the wall and you, you scan it with your phone. You put in your order. Uh-huh. And then when your gym time's up, you know, another minder picks you up, walks you to your designated tent, which again is just the four of us who are in this cohort together. And you pick up your food, you eat, and, and they say, again, your time's up. The person walks you straight to the car, jumps in the car with you, takes you right to the hotel. New person picks you up, puts you in the elevator, and then you're back in your room. Absolutely amazing. So there's no, there's no uh, using the locker room, nothing like that. you got to go back to your No locker room. Right. If you want to use the bathroom, you need to get somebody to take you. And, they, again, they clear the area for you to walk through, and you go, you're in there by so, yourself, so are and you, are you they, pra- they walk you back. Are you guys practicing on site at Melbourne Park or at the, at the practice facility, which I believe is called Albert Reserve, right? Yeah, so we're, since we're, our hotel is the Grand Hyatt, and okay. everyone in the Grand Hyatt is practicing at Melbourne Park. There's okay. two other hotels, and, and, and each basically each hotel is at one facility. And so I think, you know, the view, I think, is practicing at uh, the NTC side, and then there's one other hotel, which I think is the Pullman. I think the Pullman's practicing at Melbourne Reserve, or I could have those mixed up. But basically, you're not mixing with anyone else from a different hotel uh, at your practice facility. And so tell me a little bit about the – I mean, uh, luckily, you're with a, another coach you know. As you said, Brad Stein, he worked for the USDA for a few years. Of course, he used to coach Jim Currier as well. So he's been around the block as many times, maybe even more times as you, Mark, uh, uh, in the <laughs> yeah. coaching standpoint. And Tommy Paul, obviously a younger American who's, who's doing well. So what uh, – do you guys go over sort of routine? Because obviously practicing – I mean, you would never, ever do that in, in normal circumstances, practice with the same person, you know, more than a couple of – times i mean so the fact that you have to practice with the same guy every day how is that changing sort of the setup and what you guys are doing within that two hours on court yeah it's funny there was a lot of jockeying before the tournament when i heard about this regulation i heard about it in a coach's call well before they sort of made it public so i told steve we need to think about who we want to practice for those you know for that first seven days because you don't want to get stuck with you know one of these guys like like a karlovich type guy who you're not going to get any rallies or whatever and you right. you need to have somebody that you like <laughs> who's fun to be around so you know tommy paul obviously is you know fun guy to be around and uh him and steve are pretty relaxed out on the practice court so yeah you know coach Stein and i talk uh, every night about what we want to do the next day and mm-hmm. obviously with seven days we have time to sort of space it out and we can move slowly and there's <laughs> there's almost a the opposite of a lack of urgency. So we just want to get a good rhythm this week and you know, feel the conditions. And then in week two, we can join another group of two players. And then I think we'll start, you know, playing some points and uh, start stepping it up as the tournament gets closer. What's the vibe right now, Mark, of, uh, you know, the fact that uh, the, the top three players, Djokovic, Nadal, and team, and along with the top three women, and including Venus and Serena, by the way, um, you know, got whisked off to Adelaide to quarantine there. So I'm hearing some rumblings from some, some other players and some people, you know, not too happy about 
how that transpired. Craig Tiley, to his part, says, listen, this is the way this is the way it works in tennis. And by the way, he's right that it does work this way, that the top players get preferential treatment. That's always been the way. That's part of that's why I say welcome to tennis. That's part of the good, part of the bad, I think, of the sport as well, is that it's very star driven. So these guys are getting to go, you know, to a different facility. They still have strict you know, regulations on how long they can be out of their room. But what I'm being told is that, you know, they could bring as many people as they want, A, on their own jet that Tennis Australia sent them a private jet. Maybe they paid for it, the players, maybe not. Uh, but But they can have multiple people um, coming to their practices and basically quarantining. So what's the vibe are you feeling from other coaches and players about that, how that's gone down? I think the, the general vibe is, that there's a clear lack of fairness. And again, like you said, top players get perks due to their, you know, their position in the, in the game. There's no doubt about it. Like if you tell me the tournament's going to hold Arthur Ashe stadium for three hours in mid afternoon for Roger, like the guy deserves it. Like it is what it is. I'm not going to complain about that. Or same thing in Indian Wells when I can't book a court because Serena has, you know, blocked off, like no problem like that. I get, but to be in a situation like this, particularly you know, to see that those players or at least to feel or to have the perception that those players were insulated from the risk of, you know, traveling on the flights like we did and the risk of having to, you know, have that full 14 day hard lockdown potential. That I think is, that I think is extremely unfair. And again, like, you know, being able to bring the full team to the courts, like here players can only bring one person per day and players were actually encouraged from bringing their, full allotment of two people to the, to the tournament in general. Um, it just, it is smacks of uh, inequity. And yeah, they were encouraged to just bring one person and, and, uh, and, and I'm sure by the way, cause I have, have a decent sense of how these things go down. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Craig Tiley sold it to the players. Like, listen, we, we need you to go there because we're getting to the point where we have too many numbers. This is what they said. He said in the press, meaning there was a, an, that's how, it was, it, that's how yeah. it was sold to them. So when you, it's, it's in, in this case, I think it's, it may even be hard to blame, you know, those top players, because they're just like, oh, we're doing it for the good of the tournament. There's a big new facility that's being built in Adelaide that's been built there for one of the warm-up tournaments, which, of course, is not happening in Adelaide, but they'll have some warm-up events in, in Melbourne leading up to it. So, but again, you know, it does, it does stink a little bit. It reeks of, of, of favoritism and allowing those players to get extra perks. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hearing lots of... Well, Novak said today, yep. sorry, Novak said today that he asked to go to Melbourne and do what the other players were doing. And the tournament said no. Well, Novak, of course, got himself in the hot water as usual, which he's done many times by, by you know, it was, it was leaked that he had a list of demands. He has just put out a post recently in the last few hours on Instagram saying it, it wasn't demands. It was, a, you know, it was an email exchange, which wasn't supposed to be public, which were some ideas, some suggestions, some of which said, you know, let the players who were in full quarantine move into private housing with their own tennis court. So, of course, that gets blown up in the media, you know, give them better food, you know, for nutrition. So Djokovic, you know, got himself in the hot water. Then he's trying to backtrack now, which he's, ha- you know, I, I think that his heart's in the right place myself because I've, I've seen, you know, some of the things he's done and, you know, see him at Labor Cup and in the majors throughout the years. But somehow he always manages it to spin it in a way that he comes off looking like a total ass. And that's sort of what happened, I think, again here, even though I think he's trying to do the right thing. 
um, and support other players, you know, from his position. But it just seems like inevitably uh, he gets himself into a little, little more hot water. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, he's, I think, trying to take this position in the game as an advocate for the players. And especially there's the whole dynamic, you know, within the tour council the last couple of years with sort of Roger and Rafa on one side and Novak, you know, on the other. Um, and yeah, I think his, his position was he was trying to be an advocate for the players. But when you, when you take those things without context and the, you know, you put them in a, you know, an Australian newspaper, uh, they don't come off too great. <laughs> I know, particularly when you got the citizens there who are like been in hard lockdown, you know, for four or five months and they've, <clears throat> they've squashed the virus. Are you getting any, I mean, obviously you haven't, you're not allowed to go out and about, are you, are you any, is there any feel from you, Mark, on, because what I'm hearing from people that live there, you know, whether it's Darren Cahill, Renee Stubbs, or other friends that I know that are not tennis people that are down there, they, they basically say life essentially is back to normal. It's certainly in the Melbourne area. What's your, your take? I mean, do you have any sense of how that's um, – because, you know, you're from Southern Cal. I'm from New York where the thing started in the beginning. And now it's almost a year ago, if you can believe it. So it's, it's, it's quite amazing to hear that things are basically back to normal there. It feels like an alternate reality. You know, we, we rode a bus from the airport. They, uh, you know, when we landed, they, they did all of our screening and stuff in the private terminal. And then they took us over here in a bus with, again, with limited capacity. And we passed by restaurants, you know, on Collins Street and right. here in the central, central business district of Melbourne. And inside these restaurants and bars, like there's people and it looks, it looks normal. And, and I haven't been inside a restaurant. I haven't been even outside a restaurant uh, since, since March in, in LA. So, um, it's just, uh, it, it looks like almost too good to be true. So the, the good thing is, you know, no matter how hard all of this is after 14 days, we can rejoin, you know, regular society and we're going to move to an apartment and we're going to, you know, to be able to walk around and, you know, have the mask in my pocket. And I guess only have to put it on if I go indoors or if I go into a museum or whatever, like I, I can't wait for that. It's going to be weird. Yeah, it's going to be weird, but enjoy it. And I'm going to be – I will not be making the trip down under this year, Mark. It'll be my first year that I haven't been there. I started going in 91, believe it or not, playing for a bunch of years. And, of course, I've been going broadcasting. So we at ESPN will be calling the uh, tournament from beautiful Bristol, Connecticut, which is about an hour. Sleep is for the week, Patrick. <laughs> oh, man, I'm telling you. Well, we're really going to be experiencing it because we're going to be on from, you know, about 8 p.m. New York time until, you know, through the night, all night. So uh, we'll be a little upside down. So we'll be experiencing firsthand what our fans experience, you know, here in the U.S., uh, that watch the tournament that stay with us through the night or in L.A., you know, <clears throat> super late at night. So that'll be interesting. I will miss um, a Melbourne a lot. It's a great city and obviously miss guys like you and people in the tennis community that, you know, it's kind of our second family. So it's, uh, we're, all, we're all going through some just craziness. We hope this ends. By the way, you've been doing an unbelievable job on your own. Is it, do we call it like a mini podcast called Check? Was it Check the Mark? Check. Yeah, it's a mini pod. Yeah, I've been, you know, inspired by guys like you. Your podcast is one of my favorites. I, I love listening to it. And, uh, you know, I just thought I could give people sort of a daily, very quick rundown. I keep it under five minutes, just what it's like uh, here, because I don't, not that many people, you know, have boots on the ground here in Melbourne. So, so uh, check, I hope so, I can get so, some insight to some people. So check that mark, which is great, because, of course, you got to check the mark when you're a tennis player. And his uh, last name is Lucero. L-U-C-E-R-O. That's what your Instagram name is, right? 
Yep, at Mark Lucero on Instagram and Twitter, and uh, I love interacting with people that love tennis. Well, listen, you do a great job. Uh, I've, you know, your TV work also is. Uh, I've seen you there, and you're kicking some butt doing some college. I know you love college tennis like I do, and so keep up the good work. You got arguably the greatest college tennis, well, not arguably, definitely the greatest college tennis player ever in Stevie Johnson. So good luck to him. Thanks for spending uh, these minutes with with me and with the fans, Mark, uh, telling us what's going on. Good luck to your guy. Good luck and just uh, enjoy it down there because uh, we'll be wa- I'll be watching and I'll be missing being there with you. Thanks, Patrick. Miss everyone in New York, and uh, we'll get out there and hit at Randall's when it's all good. You got that right, my friend. Mark Lucero, everyone on Holding Court. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.